Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week and back at full cohort i'm delighted to say that once again we are joined by our former honeymooner mr sam tyler <laughs> rank on how you doing mate welcome back oh it's good to be back guys I had an amazing break and an amazing honeymoon thanks to everyone that, that sent their well wishes and uh, i'm sure everybody enjoyed the instagram updates but uh, it's good to get back in gear i think after three weeks away my brain was kind of ready to kick back in. So uh, I'm, I'm delighted to join you guys. Well, it's good to have you back. It's good to have you back. But I, I've got to say, there is one man who didn't enjoy the Instagram updates. And he's also here in the room. So I'll transfer crew as the DJ. <laughs> Probably a bit harsh. <laughs> I just started seeing more update. of Sam now than I did when he was here. <laughs> <laughs> you preferred it when no. I was, uh, I was uh, silent and quiet on Instagram, did you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I had yeah, a great yeah, yeah. time. I enjoyed I enjoyed following your updates, Sam. So um, so that's that. Um, right, today's episode, we're going to be talking about transfers, given that we are coming towards silly season at a rapid pace of knots. But before we get into all of that, it's time for Things We Love. And Sam, since you're the returning all-conquering hero, I feel like it's only right that you start off. Yeah, thanks very much. And for things we love this week, uh, I want to send two extra large portions of love to two subsections of people. And and first of all, I just want to say that anybody who lives in the time zone that I was in for the last three weeks and follows football, watches it live and maintains a healthy sleeping pattern, diet and family relationship is an absolute hero. So anybody over in Asia and the far reaches of Australia and New Zealand, if you manage to watch live football, in a GMT time zone and maintain all of those things. I don't know how you do it. I really don't. I watched one live game in three weeks. Obviously, it's my honeymoon, so I'm not trying to watch all the football, but really there was only one opportunity to do it, and that's the 12.30 kickoff, which is 7.30 in Indonesia, and obviously even later and more more awkward uh, the, the further you go around the world. But your Champions League kickoffs, 8 at 8 p.m., 3 a.m. kickoffs. I mean, how do you do it? So big love to anybody that manages to keep on top of that. And then my second extra large portion of love goes to you two gentlemen, because I thought you did an absolutely amazing job in my absence. I'm not surprised. You know, I know that you're quality, but sometimes, sometimes you have to take a step back and in the occupation of solely a listener for three weeks, your brilliance really shone through. I mean, your ability to get through so many different topics with such expertise and such speed flabbergasting and I feel like I missed a lot but simultaneously I didn't miss a thing Go on. Thank well, that's you, why it's the best podcast point. in the world mate simple as that your favourite football podcast your favourite football podcast like, it's because it's the best football podcast because no one can compete with us obviously yeah absolutely you are cheers, undefeated mate. undefeated cheers Thanks, mate so well you've come back time. at just the right time for my latest thing I love which you probably heard about his name's Erling Haaland he's coming to England we're going to go and see him. We're all going to go and see this guy. Oh, no, he's going to play against Fulham next season. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, Haaland, it's all done. And now we're right on the edge of, of Haaland actually putting on that blue shirt. But it's going to certainly make things interesting for all of us. A five-year deal is what we're um, expecting at this point at Man City. 
Not sure I'm expecting him to actually stay at Man City for five years, if I'm totally honest. Um, I think we'll have to see how things go. Wouldn't surprise me at all if Haaland was to look for a, something else after three years, because that seems to me like the kind of character he is. He wants to keep striving and driving forward. But ultimately, let's see if he can continue this amazing goal record that he's built up. Look, let's just go through what he's managed so far. Um, in club football at Mulder, he got 20 goals in 50 games at Red Bull Salzburg. He got 29 goals in 27 games. Borussia Dortmund, he's got 85 goals in 88 games. International football, he's got 15 goals in 17 games. This is a guy whose ambition is to have more goals than games to his record by the end of his days. You can't rule it out, but um, let's see. What did you say about Mulder? Was it 20 and 50 for Mulder? Yeah. Yeah, that's setting back, isn't it? That's a nightmare. That's setting back, yeah. I mean, maybe transfer marks have got that wrong. I've got to check check it out with those guys. It's, it seems like there's a glitch in the system there. But uh, he was probably about 12 at the time, so it's probably fine. Um, but look, the only thing holding him back, the only reason I've got any hesitancy in saying this is a guaranteed success is his injury record. Like, his injury record is slightly worrying. This season, Haaland missed 17 games for Borussia Dortmund through injury. Season before, he missed 10 games through injury. Now, this isn't major panic stations. The guy's 21 years old. But the types of injuries had are slightly concerning. Um, also, like, I saw it said all over social media, like, oh, my God, that's it. City, City are definitely going to win the Champions League. Now. Oh, they're definitely going to win the league next season. No, they're not. No, they're not. I've been saying that for years. It doesn't work like that. Like, yes, this is going to be a phenomenal signing. Yes, it's going to be very exciting to have him here. It does not necessarily mean that Man City win everything now just because they have Haaland. They have to find a way to get this guy into their system, playing their style of football. They have to have the guys around him playing as well as they have been and make sure that this doesn't become a problem, the fact they have got a proper number nine. Uh, Pep is going to have to alter things slightly. It's a new challenge for him too. Um, It should be brilliant, but there will be times when it probably doesn't go totally to plan. And we've seen with Messi going to PSG, that should have been a walk in the park for him. It hasn't been the kind of easy ride that we thought he'd have there. So let's just see how it goes, but it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, it's all very exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I think this is it. They're, they're an element of, of Erling Haaland about where he was going to end up that perhaps kind of superseded the season for him. Like, I'm, I'm less concerned about the injury record than perhaps most are because I think that what Marco Rose has done at Dortmund and overseen in terms of injuries is slightly concerning as a kind of as a whole, really. He's, and, and Holland is not the only one in this Dortmund side to have, well, picked up injury after injury uh, under Marco Rosa's stewardship. And I'm sure there's plenty to be unpacked there in that as well. But I do think coming to Manchester City, where, of course, his dad played, there's that picture of him as a five, six-year-old in a, in a Manchester City shirt. There's that element of nostalgia that works with this as well. Yeah. Um, it's all it's all very good for me, and I'm very happy about it. So that's <laughs> that's exciting, I think, in, in many ways. Um, go on, then, go niche. Go Take us from Erling Haaland into deepest, darkest Danish relegation zones or something. Where are you going? Well, I was thinking about this. There's plenty <laughs> I wanted to talk about. 
Um, I wanted to talk about the fact that in Serie A, it does look like it's plausible that three of the four teams chasing the last European spots will go into the final day on the same points. I think that's absolutely mad. There was relegation like bliss galore um, across the course of Serie A this weekend where we saw Venezia score a late goal to basically save themselves from relegation in, in, in their game. We saw Genoa captain... Um, Crescito score a penalty in the 96th minute after missing one last week against Sampdoria in the derby um, to basically keep them alive. We saw Cagliari score a last-minute goal against Salernitana in the eighth minute of injury time um, to basically stop their run and, and keep things interesting at the bottom. Um, we saw madness in Spain as well. Sam's Granada winning 6-2 to pull themselves out of the relegation zone. Uh, but That's I when, I landed, I landed it. when I landed at Singapore Airport for my changeover in my flight, I had one mission. I had a 50-minute layover. I needed to get through security again. I needed to log on to the airport Wi-Fi and I needed to see how Granada had done. I'd been in the air for two and a half hours and the whole game panned out as I was in the air. And I, you should have heard the noise I made when I saw the screen flash up <laughs> and, and the score. I was, I was like, Rach, look at this. And she was like, piss off. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you doing? I'm absolutely, I'm, 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 I'm exhausted. I'm changing over planes. I do not care about this. I was like, Jorge Molina scored twice in the last 10. Shut up, Sam. But oh my God, it was a great moment. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go niche than that. I'm going to go further down divisions. I want to go to the final day of the season in League Two in England, um, where one of the most remarkable scorelines I've ever seen took place. Um, at the start of the day, so basically three teams get promoted automatically from League Two to League One. And then the four teams, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh go into the playoffs, which are, you know, the lottery of chance, the madness of the playoffs. Um, basically, five teams were in with a chance of getting that third spot at the start of the day. Um, but basically, it was all relevant on how things, you know, played out. And and ultimately, Bristol, Bristol Rovers leapfrogged Northampton on the final, the final moments of the season um, to put themselves into that automatic spike. Now, for context, the manager of Bristol Rovers is Joey Barton. Um, so that's making things exciting. And Joey Barton at the start of the season, um, well, he had some he had some pretty mad ones. They were he said they'd get promoted. They lost in August four one to, to Exeter City. Um, they were about just above the relegation zone in September on New Year's Day. They were seventeenth. In League Two, uh, Bristol Rovers were promoted in third place. And they did it um, by overturning a five-goal swing um, against Northampton. Northampton won 3-1 at Barrow. Uh, Bristol Rovers won 7-0 at home to Scunthorpe. There was a pitch invasion after the seventh goal went in with six minutes remaining in the game. It meant that there was 20 minutes injury time. Um, <laughs> They hung on. They won this game. They got they got the job done. Uh, it chaos. The basically the owner was pleading with fans to stay in the stands because like if we get another pitch invasion, the FA have said they're going to cool the game off and we'll just get a default three nil win. Um, you know it, it could have all gone peat on for for well, Bristol Rovers. It didn't. They got that seventh goal um, and and ultimately got promoted and just ridiculous you just don't see things like this harry happen very often a five goal swing on the final day um to jump into that third spot and and, and seal promotion for bristol Rose under joey barton who you know is, is a bit of a madman at the best of times but yeah it was it was chaos uh, at bristol rovers i just wanted to highlight that I'm, I'm sure the gas will be very happy that they're back in league one 
Um, and what a way to do it. You don't see things like this all too often. So, yeah, I was delighted to see. Yeah, absolutely ludicrous. Northampton, not happy at all. Oh, this is the other thing. Yeah, Northampton now launched a formal investigation with the FA because Scunthorpe, who are Bristol Rovers opponents, played seven teenagers in their squad on the final day. Here's um, a bit of a shocker. <laughs> Poor so, Northampton. Uh, Northampton Town are not happy. You, oh, and you wouldn't be, would you? Like, you would this not is be. completely fair enough that Northampton are not happy. Um, yeah. But still, a storyline for the ages. And now they have Definitely. to go into the playoffs and, now and, they have to go into the playoffs. and reset and clear their minds and win, what, three games? Great. Yeah, well, two. Do you back, at least you back them? two. Um, no. Yeah, I don't back him at all. No. <laughs> no I, I, don't, I don't think you can bounce back from that kind of, that kind of thing. That, that is uncomfortable and scary if they do fair play to them they are far more mentally resilient than any other football team I've ever seen yeah I so hope they do because I want to see them play against Bristol Rovers next season yeah exactly imagine the scenes new rivalry imagine the scenes right boys uh, we should probably shift this on into our main segment after the break we're going to be talking transfers and specifically players that we think maybe clubs should have a think about avoiding don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it is time for our main ranking. It gives me great joy to say that I can hand it over to the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai, once again. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I know. Sick of doing these. No, no one's more joyful than you. I know. I know about it. I've nailed all the ones I've done, but blimey. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> you have indeed, actually. Yeah, even though I was uh, sniping at you at WhatsApp about the order of Man City and Real Madrid, which you then oh, called yeah. me out on on Patreon, which I heard. Um, but yeah, loved it, loved it. Anyway, this uh, this week that I missed you know, three weeks of football, so there's no sense in me sitting here and talking about what's happened. And you guys have covered that so well over the last couple of weeks anyway, across the, the six different shows or so in the last two weeks. So I thought... Um, I thought I'd take a different look at things and I thought I'd take a look at some of the transfers that I've seen bubbling away and increasing to increasingly bubbling away on my timeline and picking out some players that look set to move this summer or, or look are continually linked to big moves. And each of these players, while very good, I do have some some genuine concerns about. They might be top tier, but they have weaknesses. They have things to address and they're not perfect solutions. And there are some moves that they could make that I think would be quite horrible. Now, this isn't just a naysayer and a negative exercise. I think it's a healthy exercise. Like there's a lot of overhyping done on social media. There's a lot of YouTube compilations and a lot of players are held up as infallible and like almost no one is like no one is perfect. So I'm going to take a look at three players here who I do have doubts over for one reason or another. And I'll, expre I'll express those doubts. Yeah. Reservations, concerns, doubts, whatever you want to call it. But these are players that are, have been linked to huge moves. And there's something about them that doesn't sit right with me. So I start at number three, and it's Pau Torres of Villarreal. And this will be a common theme. Like, obviously, I'll start by saying Pau Torres is a really good player. He's <laughs> played in a Villarreal team and a Spain team who have reached the semifinals of the Champions League and Euro 2020 in the last year. No one is calling Pau Torres a bad player. And his strengths are really obvious. He's smart. He's positionally astute. He reads the game really well. I think he defends his box quite well as well. And he gets up to a really high speed in recovery and can play in a very high line. He, he posted a, a top speed last season of more than 33 kilometers an hour, I think, uh, at full speed for VRAL. Like he's a, he's a quick guy and he's suited to a high line. He's got a good left foot for passing. There are a lot of boxes that you can tick there. But he does have one glaring weakness that does concern me, and that's his total lack of physicality, his total lack of aggression, and his relative lack of strength in duels. Now, it may seem like a really reductive way of talking about a player, and it might be a really reductive way of ruling players out of moves, 
But he keeps being linked to Premier League moves. I keep seeing Tottenham. I keep seeing Man United. And I occasionally see Arsenal. And I just know at this point that as a centre-back, if you lack a strength in duels and an aerial ability and a baseline power and aggression, you are going to struggle. So Paul Torres is a very good player in the situation that he's in right now. But there are certain moves that he would not be suited for because there is just one element of his game that he is missing. And I think that element basically rules him out of a Premier League successful move. So Dean, you're going to go ahead and tell me that um, all those clubs are indeed interested, right? <laughs> yeah, not sure about Arsenal, but certainly um, Tottenham and Man United, have been, Man United obviously been linked for a long time to, to Paul Torres. Um Obvious frailty in the United setup is their back line. Like they have to sign a centre back. Uh, Phil Jones and Eric Bailly will be leaving, so even more need to get another figure in there. Uh, Paltor is definitely one that being contemplated. Tottenham they want a centre back too. They want they've been very happy um, with how certain things have gone since um, since Conte's come in, and um, but they do feel that they need another centre back, and that's probably fair. And Pau Torres is certainly one that they've been looking at signing. Um, I have heard other people say, have reservations about whether Tottenham's a good fit for him. Um, but overall, I think that the club do feel that because he's seemingly available, they should be in the market for him. They should be considering him. So, yeah, at this stage, it's still up in the air as to who will actually get him. But it does seem pretty likely he is going to come to the Premier League. I think there's something to be said for, uh, you know, looking at Pau Torres and those options. I've seen Chelsea linked as well, but I'm not sure if that's more than just happenstance and their fans feeling that they need to be linked with every defender on the market, considering they're losing most of the ones within their setup at the moment. Um, I am less worried about Pau Torres if he goes into a setup like Tottenham's. If he was to play on the left of Christian Romero, who obviously is an absolute monster in terms of winning aerial duels, in terms of aggression, in terms of power. I have less concerns about Pau Torres being exposed in a setup like that because you can create cover and you allow him to step out into situations where he's actually exceptionally good. And you look at you know what he's doing right now at Villarreal and you look at that relationship with Raul Albiol that he has and that Albiol is a wily old campaigner. He is a veteran <laughs> of a, you know, a thousand battles, if you will. Um, and he's also you know a very, very aggressive partner. He's the one you know chucking himself into things on the front line and, and Torres sweeps up and deals with it. And it's a lovely partnership in, in that sense. I completely agree with you, Sam, in that you don't want people being like, right, we attack Torres aerially. But I do think if you put him into a back three, you do you know, kind of remove a little bit of that element because you can shift players over in order to cover those weaknesses and, and strengthen them. And that's why I'm not mad about the links to Tottenham and if those Chelsea ones indeed are, are true. But I would really struggle to see him in a back four for Ten Hag at United. I, I'm not sure that's what United need by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the world that we live in right now is, is, is one where Pau Torres is a success and he's next to Albiol, who is a bull. He's a real bull in the air. And he's so aggressive. And Torres, as you say, can kind of sweep up around the back. I think because he's left-footed, people keep looking at him as like, for, for, for Tottenham, they look, they look at him as a left-sided centre-back in the back three. I think he profiles best as a central centre-back in a three and he can drop deep and sweep around the back and he can play with two aggressors who can go and do that work. But ultimately, where I land on is... Pau Torres is really not that different in a back four, I think, to someone like maybe Victor Lindelof. I think you could you could draw a pretty good parallel between those two. One's left-footed, one's right-footed, but they both have obvious strengths on the ball, but they're both a bit meek 
And in duels, sometimes they duck out, sometimes they're dominated. And if I told you that, you know, knowing everything that we know about Victor Lindelof, who's a good player, but here for 40 or 50 million euros, Tottenham, would you like to sign Victor Lindelof? You'd say no. You'd want a better player. And you'd want a player that you don't have to make quite so many alterations for in the system to cover up, particularly at the prices we're talking. So this is why I would end up steering clear of Pal Torres, because I just have too many worries, too many concerns, and I feel like I'd have to make too many alterations to make it work, considering the, 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 the sheer amount of money we're talking here for a player that should be able to come in and fix a lot of things immediately, and you don't have to cater for. Do we know what the you know price is being thrown around? Are oh, is it that 40, 50 million range that, that Villarreal will hold out for here with Pal Torres? Or is it, you know, a player who, you know, would would take that opportunity and would move? Look, we know that Pal Torres is, you know, from Villarreal. He is a homegrown boy, pretty much, uh, in this squad. And it's been a real source of pride for Fernando Roj and and the, the Villarreal setup to have a player like this in the middle and and, and someone who's gone and won trophies with the club um and, and bit of success. Does that kind of raise his value from a Villarreal perspective, um, as well as the fact that we know he's been widely touted as you know, quite world-class in, in, in so many ways? Yeah, look, some people are valuing him at 51. I've seen £55 million. Pounds. Um, I'm not sure if this is currency conversions of people just being told it's in a general area that this player's going to be available at and they're just having a punt. Um, but it seems like actually it's going to be around, yeah, £50 million. Pounds. And you know, what Sam's talking about there is absolutely bang on, like especially with Man United. They cannot sign a meek defender. That's the last thing that Man United need right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, Sammy, it might be time to move us on to number two. Yeah, number two, uh, someone that you guys brought up briefly uh, on Monday's Postbox show, actually, and I was hoping while I was listening that uh, you wouldn't tread too too much over it because I had something to say about Yuri Tielemans of Leicester City. Um, it feels pretty inevitable that Tielemans is going to be moving on from Leicester City this summer. And I think usually the prospect of, of losing one of your, your clear best players on paper should be a moment for Leicester fans to dread. But from what I've seen over the last couple of months and speaking to, to one in particular yesterday, just to check this out, one of our patrons, Matt, one of our referees on Discord, he's a Leicester fan. I just touched base with him and said, is, is, is the reaction I see to Tielemans on Twitter and in the Leicester newspapers, like, is this, they don't like him. You guys don't like him. And the truth is they're fed up of Tielemans. And there is a perception that he's downed tools and isn't exactly committing himself to the cause. Um, they're pretty annoyed at him. And he keeps stringing along these contract negotiations and, and renewals and nothing ever gets done. And his level this season has dropped in accordance. Now, in his defence, everyone at Leicester's level has dropped. Like It's been a, a really strange and weird season for them. Definitely one of the most inconsistent teams in world football. Um, they've had a big frailty this season in set-piece defending, which has pretty much undermined everything they've tried to do that's positive. And the injuries to Jamie Vardy and Wilfred and Didi have really troubled them. So they've underachieved in the league. They dropped from the Europa League down to the Conference League. Uh, that didn't go down so well after Brendan Rodgers' comments. Then they they made a run at that and then they lost the semi-finals of Roma. So that kind of light at the end of the tunnel's gone. And overall, everyone's just a bit like... Well, that was rubbish, wasn't it? Um, absolutely rubbish. And Tielemans is, is kind of part of that. You know, the, the Tielemans that we saw last season, who came up with really big moments, some really big performances, some wonderful strikes, the FA Cup win, but also some great pre-assists, some wonderful pass-before-the-pass stuff. Where has that been? Where has that been this season? Like, I just haven't seen it. And a couple of times this season, I've sat and wondered to myself, why isn't he stepping forward and producing any of these performances? 
Like, where is he? Why isn't he showing up? And again, you know, he's been forced into a more defensive position because yeah. of Wilfred and Didi's absence. But all that's done is shine a light on genuinely how poor his defensive work is. Like, it's, and it's not even, I don't know if it's a lack of effort or if it's a lack of ability, but he doesn't track runners. He waves them onto the box and leaves them unmarked. He doesn't do any of the covering work that he's supposed to do. And it's made me realize that Tielemans has some very specific skills. And he's an amazing passer, great tempo controller when it comes to it, and has a great long shot. But you do have to cover for him a little bit defensively. He doesn't have that rounded skill set as a number eight. And the work that Adidi done has been brought into focus by his absence and by watching Tielemans try to move deeper into the formation and try and fail to do what Ndidi did. Now, you can consider that a knock against him or you can say, well, that's not his job. But what I see in Tielemans at the moment is a player who is quite inconsistent and has to be catered for. So again, you have to be very careful about how much you spend on this player because you have to be very careful about how you deploy him because he needs a specific set of scenarios to, to thrive. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I think what tells you a lot about Tillemans at the moment is that Leicester believe he's replaceable and they're not afraid to lose him. Um, of course, they, they tried to get him tied down to a new contract, but that was as much to protect his value as anything else. He can actually be got this summer for a pretty reasonable fee. Um, I was speaking to someone who deals closely with it, and um, he reckons that you'll get Tielemans for about £25 million this summer, based on the fact that he's only got a year left of his contract. There's not huge amounts of money going around at the moment beyond like those top, top-tier players. And Tielemans wants to play in the Champions League. That's where he believes his level is now. There aren't many Champions League clubs that want T elements. In fact, it'll be a battle between Arsenal and Tottenham to finish fourth this season. And whoever finishes fourth will probably sign Yuri T elements. Like that's pretty much what his options are going to be. People at Leicester feel that it's fine for T elements to believe that he's worthy of playing Champions League football. Like maybe he is, but they're not convinced that he's going to have the market out there that he perhaps thinks he will. They feel like they're not a million miles off the level that he actually is worthy of playing at. And also, Brendan Rodgers is quite happy, to be honest, in certain aspects of this Leicester team to move on. He feels like they've peaked. He feels like they can't get any more out of this group of players and they need a mini rebuild. They, they're Probably the core of that team needs to go, to be honest. You need a new centre-back, a new midfielder, a new striker to bring new life into it, to have... Um, I guess, new ambition because they've achieved so much, this group of players, and T Elements is a big part of that. So, um, yeah, let's see. I think Tottenham and Arsenal, genuinely both looking at him. Um, from the Tottenham end, I was told, you know, him and Ericsson, both on the agenda, but only if they make Champions League. They, can't, they won't sign both of those if they don't make Champions League. Um, and Arsenal, look, they have to add depth and quality to their squad and T-Elements is, is somebody they'd love to add. Not, I'm not mad at the Arsenal suggestion. Um, if he's played with a proper six in that number eight role, kicking onwards in a team young and looking for runners and, you know, giving the opportunity to open out, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that Yuri T-Elements would struggle in this Arsenal side. I'm a little bit more reticent to see him in a two in a midfield with for Tottenham, yes, there's three at the back to, to kind of help with those defensive issues. But in a midfield pivot of two, I'm not completely convinced that Yuri Tielemans is that player, Sam. 
yeah, as I say, there's um, there's certain things that you have to do either side of him to to make it work. Um, I think I think over the years we've kind of established that Tielemans has like three incredibly strong skills, and then there's the other bits, and he's not quite the rounded player that that I think some people imagine him to be or, or want him to be. Um, I say all of this like I think he's I think he's really good. But when his heart's in it and when he's playing properly, he's a really good player and he can be a difference maker. He's a wonderful passer of the ball. But just again, too many question marks. I'll be honest though, when I've been looking at these rumors filtering through and looking and thinking about potential prices here, I really did have even with a year left on his deal, I had Tielemans pegged at 30 million plus, maybe even 40 still as an asking price. The 25, 25 is much more reasonable and my concerns start to wave a little bit. Um but yeah, it, twenty five. I'm taking the gamble. Yeah, but either way, I, I do. I do look at. I, so I, I remember watching him for Anderlecht, and he was he was really good as an advanced midfielder, like as a ten with no defensive responsibility. And he really came to life when Leander Dendonka, who's now of Wolves, came into the team and did all of the dirty work for him behind him. Then he gets this move to Monaco, and it just goes disastrously. And I think it's Thierry Henry at the time doesn't doesn't take to him at all, and he's basically shipped out on loan. And he ends up at Leicester on a bit of a prove it scenario. Then he does really well, and then he kind of goes off the boil. I'm not looking at a career trajectory here that's 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 making me fall in love with the player. I, I don't have any information on exactly how that's really gone down, so it is speculatory, and I apologise for that. But I'm looking. I have seen Tielemans' career transpire to this point, and it doesn't fill me with faith as to the direction it's gone. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there is a word that uh, in in that Monaco team they tried to play at midfield too of him and Cesc Fabregas, which, to be fair, is the least <laughs> defensively midfield, uh, the least defensively minded midfield I think I've ever seen. So, yeah. um, so there was that element of things, but I completely agree with you. It's not been perfect, and I think when you're spending lots of money on a player, you want a little bit more. Again, though, that 25 million stone me a little bit as well. I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable price for Yuri Tielemon. Um, and I think that at 25 million, there should be a lot of teams looking to take a gamble on him. So um, he's dropped down my ranking to three, Sam. We've had, we have to win below that. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will. Or maybe we'll boot him out and put someone else. I mean, Leicester fans won't be happy at me saying 25 million at all. Like if, they, if they're if losing Tielemans, I'm sure like you're thinking they want 35 million pound. But yeah, I just and, think... And in, it would be market, fair as well with his hype level. Yeah, possibly with hype level, but we've got to be realistic in this market. Like, if you're not Kylian Mbappe or Declan Price or um, Erling Haaland, <laughs> yeah, Erling Haaland, like everything's dropped a little bit at the moment, and clubs have to be realistic about what they can actually get for some of their assets. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's it's a fair one. It's a fair point. Um, right then, Sam, who's in at number one? Okay, number one is Lautaro Martinez of Inter Milan. Mm. See, did you hear my sigh then? Yeah. Mm. What was the so, sigh for? The sigh was because it took me a long time to figure out how to say this or to word this. I'm still not particularly happy with it, but I've got to say something because I'm on a podcast. And here's how I'm going to put it. Lautaro Martinez is just as likely to score a 20-yard screamer as he is to completely miss the ball when swinging for it from five yards out. And somewhere inside that weird range is the genius of Lautaro Martinez, but it doesn't quite sit right. And like face value, there's not a lot to dislike. Consistently good goal scorer last three seasons with Inter. Um, he's got 19 goals at one point. I think he's on 16 at the moment. Not that many penalties. He takes a good penalty, but it's it's not a tally inflated by penalties. So there's nothing to worry about there. He's got a tremendous work rate as a forward. 
you know, runs himself into the ground and sacrifices himself for the team. And he has great instincts. He finds he finds a lot of space in a lot of different areas. And he's able to pull the trigger on four or five shots in a game sometimes because he's just picked the right moment to drift into the right, uh, right, right space. But if my club spent whatever it's going to cost to buy Lautaro Martinez, and it's going to be 60 million at least, don't even bother telling me it's less Dean. If my, my club spent that much money on a player who miss kicks and scuffs the ball and misses as many sitters as he does from golden positions, I would be so confused and perplexed. It would be beyond belief. Now, the, the theme with Inter is that he's often missed those chances and he's scored a bicycle kick or something to make up for it. Um, and I said, the, the numbers are good. But there was a little two-month streak this season from, I think it was January, start of January through to the end of February. It was a two-month streak where he didn't score a goal. And in true Lautaro fashion, he ended this, the drought with a hat-trick against Salernitana. But for those two months, he just couldn't kick a ball straight, guys. He just couldn't do it. And he was in his own head and his poor technique and ball striking really compounded the issue. But he's a good player, but he's got some flaws to his game. And the other concern is that he's like the definition of a second striker. I don't think he can play anywhere else. I don't think he has the presence to play as a lone forward. I don't think I'd want him holding the line. And he's not shifty or agile enough to play wide. He can't create separation from his marker with the ball. When he tries to knock it around someone, he goes five yards backwards. He doesn't go sideways. He doesn't jink or shift left or right. So I don't think he can play wide either. So he is a second forward. And how many clubs play with a second forward in world football? It's such a special position because it's rare. Interplay with one, which is great for him. But there aren't many teams that play with a genuine front two and would have a vacancy like that for Lautaro. It's like the floating second striker. I just, I just don't, see, I don't see the market for him to get the best out of him. And I feel like he might go into a scenario where he's playing in a position or a role that doesn't really suit him. And then when you've got that, plus the fact that he miskicks the ball so often and you add in the price tag, I mean, Dean, tell me what the price tag is, but I'd be really worried. Yeah, I mean, there have been reports that Inter would ex- accept as, as low as £53 million for him, uh, depending on their financial situation. But I think it's probably fair to say that that evens out closer to 60. Um there is a possibility he goes. There, there is. He's been. He has been weighing it up for a little while, and he, he does have ambition to come to the Premier League. Um, it's not certain that it happens this year. Definitely not. Um, but Inter are having to weigh up certain um, aspects of their team um, and behind the scenes. You know, obviously, we've seen how they're having a reshuffle when they're forced into things. They'll let you go, like they let Lukaku go. Maybe Lukaku goes back. We don't know yet, but. Um, I spoke to someone who's pretty close to the situation um, a few weeks back and was just like, look, what, what are you thinking? Like, do you think, um, is there still, is it plausible that he goes? Um, would he consider it? And he said, yeah, I think there's a fair chance he does go in this transfer window. Um, and if he does, I think it'll be Tottenham or Arsenal. Um, so again, always it looks like, doing to- it. Always yeah, Tottenham it, Arsenal. I think, honestly, I think we're going to hear this constantly throughout this window. And, it makes sense because they both need quite a lot of stuff and they're both shopping in the same market. So um, there is going to be a few battles between these two. But like you say, where does he fit into these sides? I mean, Tottenham could use him if they didn't have Son, but they've got Son to assist Harry Kane and they've got Kulusevski to assist Kane. And I don't see that they can have another player 
it was forward thinking around it gives Kane. it would give Conte options I mean we've seen him play 3-5-2 but he has to start at yeah I mean at this price he's got to start. start and I also I also I suspect he and Kane would tread on each other's toes because Lautaro doesn't have like this or at least the player that he's developed into the last couple of years he's much happier to float off a forward who who and drop into the space between the defensive line and the midfield line. I don't see him as like someone breaking over the top. He doesn't have that speed that Son does. He doesn't have a powerful running style that Kuliseski does. He wants to play between the lines. He wants to drop off and and and, and play like he's is closer to Thomas Muller than he is to anything anything close to Hugmin Son. And so that player probably wants to drop into the area that Harry Kane dominates and calls his own. And I do genuinely struggle on paper to see how they would form any kind of relationship without standing right next to each other and pissing each other off. Yeah. And then here's here's the Arsenal conundrum. Like They're going to side for at least one forward, possibly two. It is plausible. We'll have to see what happens with Eddie and Ketia and whether he stays or not. But they'll sign a forward. They were burned by the Duzan Vlavic rumours um, earlier in the year. Like They got quite excited about that. And let's face it, it was never going to happen. He was always going to Juve. And... But I was asked earlier on today, actually, like, who would Arsenal's dream signing be, like, in this window? They're linked with so many forwards. I think it would be someone, I think it would be Lautaro Martinez or somebody very close to that because they want to raise excitement levels and they want to make a statement. And that's what that would do. Other strikers that Arsenal are linked to, though, Alex Isak, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Victor Ozymen, Cody Gakpo. Darwin Nunez, like that is quite the selection of people who have so nothing in common. That's exactly what I was just coming to. Like that, they are. I was going through trying to find like what other forwards are Arsenal linked to, and that's basically the list. And I'm like, well, that that there's no correlation there, is there? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the old West Ham thing where they're like, right, who can we get? Here's a list of forty. No, but that's it. Yes, yeah, so you've got seven names there that are regularly linked, and they've got. Definitely one spot up for grabs, which is the main striker role. Potentially two if Nketiah goes. I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you think Martinez would fit in as a as a the main focal point of that Arsenal team? I I don't know what Arteta wants from a striker anymore because Nketiah has sort of changed things a little bit. But up until very recently, we saw the role that Lacazette was used in. I think Ma- Ma- Lautaro's short game and... Uh, and sort of short passing and link up play is a bit too scruffy to genuinely ace that role when he's probably being marked by two centre backs and things like that. I I don't I can see the logic in it if you want to coach him up, but I think genuinely coming in as a I don't I'm not sure that his game suits that. I, I really don't. Who does so, then? Who would you? Who would be your top pick out of that? Well, I like I really happened? like I really like Alex Isak for that skill set and I like Jonathan David for that skill set but neither of these two players are ending oh, yeah, I didn't the season. even list him I, I forgot but, about him. he's on the list as well yeah yeah. I, I neither of those two players are ending the season particularly strongly Jonathan David I think hasn't scored a goal for, for quite a while so that's that's a tougher sell whereas Martinez is, is scoring every week so it can it can seduce you a little bit um, but Nketiah playing as a as a genuine number nine and, and pressing like a madman and, and making the difference has has been a success for Arsenal over the last three weeks. I'm saying I'm saying Nketiah is, is the answer. He may, he may not be. But it might change Arteta's mind in terms of what he wants. And if you then really like that style of player, that brings someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin back into play. Yeah. Um, I actually asked someone to say about Nketiah because I was I thought like after this run he's just had, I thought, oh, this must convince him to sign a new contract. Um, but I was told by 
person that I text who normally knows about these things. He goes, I still think he'll leave. Um, he doesn't want to be a second choice. He might even end up being third choice if they, depending on how many they sign. Um, and that's not going to be good enough for him when he could probably get more money elsewhere and more game time elsewhere. So big decision mm. though, because you know if you're going to go from Arsenal to say West Ham, that's a big drop down. And for Arsenal, I think they will look to try to seal Nketiah because I think he's answered a lot of questions in the last couple of weeks. It'd be helpful to them to only have to sign one. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> the thing with, with you know, Lautaro for me is that genuinely, how many clubs are bigger than Inter? 10? 15? Like, not, not, not 15. Not even. Not even 15. I would say maximum 10, right? And, mm. and probably less than that, considering they won Serie A last year. Mm. Yeah, considering where they are, considering they're in the conversation to win it again this year. You'd say maybe... Maybe the top three out of the Premier League, Bayern perhaps, Real Madrid and Barcelona, hmm. PSG, maybe Juve. But yeah, they won't like it, Juve. but Juve might be on the list, yeah. There's a possibility that due to historical value, you can put someone like Atleti or, or Manchester United in here, despite the fact that Manchester United are clearly worse than Inter, but their actual standing around the world still is probably larger. So, you hmm. know, th there's that. But there isn't money more, right? And there's none of these clubs who really play with two up front, apart from, you know, the ones who aren't looking for strikers. Um, yeah, apart from that Atleti, 19,000 strikers. That concerns <laughs> me. And, and I, I, I would even, I would struggle to put Atleti as a bigger side than Inter, to be perfectly honest with you, yeah. um, considering the, the, the way they've played this year and their historical standing. I don't, think yeah. there's any com I don't think there's any conversation to be had there. I don't think there's any real point. So... My 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 love would be like, why are you moving? <laughs> really, that's my big takeaway. <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Uh, <laughs> and now, if you're like, okay, I want to go and try test myself in the Premier League, or you know, fair enough, fine, reasonable. But I don't know the grass. This this feels like a real the grass is greener transfer, and I don't think the grass is that much greener anywhere for Lautaro. I think the grass is pretty green where he is. And hmm. if I was him, I'd be sticking around. That's, that's my big takeaway from the whole Lautaro Martinez thing. Well, there you go. Cool. There you go. Now, Taro, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Just stay where <laughs> you are, there's my There's certainly a chance he'll do that. Like, yeah. I, I think that his advisors are very on the fence about the whole thing. Like, you know, there'll be a payday. There'll be, you know, the money and the status that comes with moving to the Premier League. But they also know that he's in a good home right now. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, right, Sam. Any honourable mentions for this list this week? Yeah. I mean, look. I mean, actually, Dean Dean started us off perhaps unwittingly, um, and on this on today's podcast in the right way because I'm talking about players, you know, with uh, big players in line for big transfers with some concerns, and you know, Erling Haaland and his injury record is undoubtedly a concern of some variation of size. And what I tried to do really hard is to stay away from, but his injury record isn't very good, and try to be a bit more nuanced with it, but. Given you, you've given me the platform for honourable mentions, anybody signing Paolo Dybala this summer, just be aware that like he's got a, a, career, a decade of, of injuries. Um, I did look it up. He has never managed 30 or more league starts in his entire time at Juventus. He's always fallen short. He did hit 29 once, but he typically falls around the 25 mark. You know, 25 sounds like a lot, but it's still missing 35% of action in the league. And Dybala's going to command a hell of a lot of money. 
is going to be a central point of your team, a focal point. You're going to want to build the team around him. And if he's not there on average 35% of the time over the course of seven seasons, that will cause you some problems. So just be aware. But I didn't want to stick him in there and be like, yeah, but he's always injured. Yeah, that's because he's kind of well good. Um, also, if Martinez does leave, then Dybala in that second striker role <laughs> yeah. at Inter is like, you know, hook me up and inject it to all of my veins. That, that, look, Dybala back as a, as a second striker and that kind of shadow role he played at Palermo. Like, honestly, give it to me in spades. Um, what if alas. Inter signed Cavani and Dybala on free what? transfers? Just to be nine and ten. Thanks Just to be nine, nine and ten and re-up the Palermo years. Yeah, I'd be very pleased, real pleased. Um, but it is, it is what it is. I mean, it's not, it's not completely out of the question, I'd imagine. Um, the Dybala to interlinks keep hotting up. Um, I'm not sure about crossing the old David Italia divide. You know, um, that is. I don't think anyone, you know, a lot of people will be listening to this and weren't quite. I don't think they understand the the vitriol between these two sides. They hate each other. This is yeah. like. Change. This is like a Man United Liverpool kind of level of we hate each other. You don't cross these divides lightly. Um, right. and, I, and I think that would be a very interesting one if, if La Joya crosses, crosses those waters. But we well, Conte's see. just done it, hasn't he, recently? So Yeah, but and, just... and, and, and tarnished his reputation forever at Juventus. So we, we shall see. Um, mm. th- there's a lot going on. Um, but ultimately, it, it is one of those things. It is one of those things. Anyone else, Sam? No, that was it. I mean, yes, obviously I've got concerns about almost every player under the sun, but we only have so much time. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, well, that is the end then of our main segment after the break. We're going to have a Mellow of the Week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for part three. And as ever, it starts with everybody's favourite time of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is goalkeeper Erjen Nyland. I pronounced the same, right? Sam's old favourite. Sam, you remember him? He is the absolute worst. Uh, I think it's Nyland. Nyland. Okay, well, however you pronounce it, we're now going to just call him Erjen Melon because this was an absolute shocker. Um... Reading's championship fixture against Luton on Saturday. Luton needed a win to book their place in the playoffs. And, well, just before half-time, they were given one by Reading's goalkeeper. Um, he had the ball in his hands. And, oh, my God. He, in, when I was a kid, there used to be a video released every season called Own Goals and Gaffs. And you'd just see all the errors that everyone had made throughout the season. Uh, you wouldn't have seen because all the games weren't on TV. And um, this would have definitely been in a prime spot in that in that video DVD because he had the ball in his hands. He puts the ball down with the intention of kicking it forward. But there's a guy hiding behind him. Harry Cornick was hiding behind him and all the Reading fans are shouting, he's behind you. He doesn't hear them. As he throws the ball, Harry Cornick whips around him as a couple of touches and knocks the ball into the net. I mean, we've all seen these goals before, but you'd only get one or two a season. And this was absolute classic. This was a vintage error. Um, this is a recreation of a classic blooper, isn't it, on a VHS? It's, it really it, it's is. It's almost like he was trying to do it on purpose. Like, like he'd seen the video and thought, I can do this. Well, I'm yeah. sure there's a load of Middlesbrough fans um, suggesting that that is the very case. Um, yeah. So so who knows? But, yeah, exactly that. Look, uh, it, Dino, this well, is, he didn't this check is, behind this, him. He didn't even look. This is the guy who I'm sure you'll remember carried the ball over his own line in Aston Villa yes. versus Sheffield United during lockdown. And he also 
a couple of games later, I think they played Wolves and he tried to throw the ball and his arm was at sort of full extension as a goalkeeper that does a full throw and it goes behind him. The man can't throw a ball. It kind of slips off the end of his fingers and he ends up creating backspin and he throws the ball and he, it goes behind him. And somehow, yeah. I can't remember who it was for, I think it was Den Donker actually. He's getting a lot of airtime on this pod. Um, I think he, he just blazes over in like a half open goal. But he's actually the most yeah. hapless, hapless goalkeeper I think I've ever really? seen. Awful. Uh, do you know what? The score was 1-0. It's the only goal of the game. Yeah, it's the goal that secured Luton spite the playoffs. <laughs> but didn't, sorry, Jack, I might be wrong here, but didn't Borough lose anyway? Borough lost. Borough lost anyway, yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, Busty. once they found they out like Luton were winning. they lost like 4-1, didn't they? Well, they, yeah, they, they went, <laughs> it was so mad because obviously Borough went 2-0 down away to Preston. Now, Preston had been really good second half of the season, so it's not massively surprising. Borough pulled one back and then conceded about 78 seconds later. And you're like, no, don't do that. Like, you've just got yourself back in contention. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, they threw it away of their own behalf anyway. Um, right. <laughs> Sam, it's time for the gibberish rankings. Yay. Okay. Well, of course, I've just been on my honeymoon to Bali, and so it's going to be Bali related. Oh, I thought you were going to say things that annoy you about your wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was we're perfect. A few weeks Lovely in. Time. Um, Good. Three odd things from Bali. Uh, number three is that I saw multiple massive posters of Hector Bayerin. Nice. What great vibes. And one of the most shocking things ever. We went on a lot of day trips, so I spent a lot of time going to and from like temples and waterfalls and caves and stuff. And so we're in the car. So I mostly just listened to you boys on the AirPods and looked out the window. It's amazing how much you see when you just look out the window. But uh, we were driven around plenty. And on multiple occasions, I saw massive printout photos and pictures of Hector Bayerin. Can you guess why these posters were up? Everyone's a he's... massive Betis fan in Bali. Mm. Sadly, um... not it. He's one of the best looking men on the planet. Really well dressed. Uh, really cool. Very, Dean, very cool. Dean is closest. Loves sustainable. Very sustainable. I'm closest. <laughs> you're closest. I mean, in a way, I mean, neither of you are close, but you're closest. <laughs> he is used in multiple Balinese barbershops as a stock photo that you can point to on the wall and say, I love that one. But he so changes his one- hair like every three weeks. Yeah, so it's like a really old poster of it. It was like five years ago when he had like really short shaved sides. Um, and they've got that on the wall as something you can wow. point to. And he's wow. he's like a literal poster boy of like Balinese barbers. Wow. What a day. Yeah, yeah. I, know. Very, I got very excited when I saw the first one again. Rach, Rach, look. She was like, shut up. Anyway, um, number two, I saw hundreds, hordes of children on mini mopeds in Bali. Now, I knew that there was a pretty strong like moped scooter game um, in Southeast Asia. And I get it. Like the, the roads are shocking. They're narrow. They're uneven. They're unmarked. It really does suit a small vehicle. You don't want to be driving an SUV around that stuff. And you can also, as a tourist, you can hire mopeds for like a pound a day. And there is fuel literally everywhere. Like most like small shops that just sell crisps have a fuel pump just outside. And it's so cheap. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised that, that lots of people were driving them. But I was surprised to see children's aged roughly nine or 10 or 11 driving them to school in school uniform without a helmet on. We once got caught in the school rush on the way to a temple and the road was just flooded with children 
driving these things like motorized like not a scooter like you know a push pedal one like a motorized like a mini moped and i was like what on earth is going on it's like a swarm we finally drove past the school and they've got an entire section out front dedicated to park your mopeds and so i sort of basically asked the driver what is the legal driving age in bali thinking it would be like seven and he was like oh it's 17 i was like but they're all on they're all on mopeds and they're all in school uniforms and he's like yeah. And I was like, okay, no one seems to care. And it did strike me at that point that I had yet to see a police officer of any kind in two weeks. <laughs> it's and also possible like, that they don't count, they don't count uh, mopeds as, as cars. May, yeah, maybe would be yeah. my, that would be my, uh... but it, bo- it, did bo- it bothered me a little bit that didn't, no one had any helmets on. Um, but e- either way, either way, the, the, the game is slightly different over there with regard to scooters and mopeds. I did see a full family of four on one moped. Um, uh, man driving, uh, woman sort of behind him, hugging hugging his belly as you do, and then you've got one child in a footwell and one child on the handlebars. So it is very much a different vibe over there. Um, anyway, number one, Balinese coffee with a twist. Bali make very good coffee, very very good coffee. They're very proud of it, and you can go and see all the plantations, and you can you can support them, visit them, buy their coffee. You can take part in the process, you know, crush up the coffee beans and watch them roasted, and then you get a tasting test. I drank eight coffees in thirty minutes. It was unreal. Um, I could barely sit still. But anyway, barley have, barley have a particular type of coffee. They're very proud of it. It's like kind of like their national thing. It's called the Luwak coffee. Now the Luwak is actually an animal. I want you to Google this, L-U-W-A-K, because I presume you don't know what a luwak is. And keep in mind, it's very important, that it was described to me as like a cat. I don't really agree with that comparison. Take a look at the luwak and and let me know what you think it looks like, because I think I've got a pretty good idea. Uh, uh, A skunk? (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit like a cat. I think it looks like the cross between a raccoon and a mongoose. Oh yeah, raccoon is probably. A it good does look a bit like a cat, though, man. I mean, it's cat shaped, yeah. but it's more it's, fe- it's more ferrety, it's, isn't it? Its face is more ferrety, and its body is quite cat-like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't like. Anyway, them. anyway, they it's are like int- one of those ancient Greek things where they just bash loads of stuff together—a chimera. <laughs> okay, it's scary. definitely not like a chimera. Um, but these things but anyway, attack you. No, they didn't attack me. I, 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 saw, I think I saw seven in total, and uh, I, like lot, a lot of them are domesticated. They were literally behaving like dogs. They were hilarious, um, uh. but uh, they, no, they were okay. But they're intrinsic to the production of the coffee because they feed them the coffee beans that fall off the trees, and they eat the coffee beans whole. Their digestive system strips away like all of the excess around the bean, and then there's a fermentation process. They think that enhances the flavor of the coffee, and then they shit it out. And then no. someone then someone takes the beans out, no. and then they roast them, crush them, and make it into coffee. That's not okay. Sounds. That, uh, this is the same thing. Don't reindeers do this with the production of something? Do they? Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. animals' digestive system does something to something, man. And um, the Balinese have, have absolutely nailed this one because the coffee the coffee is very nice, but. Anyway, they've got this really funny joke that they couldn't wait to tell me and they were all giggling. And I didn't find it as funny as they did, but bless them, they, they, they definitely got a selling point. They said, what do you think we call this coffee? I said, what? And they said, a cat puccino. <laughs> 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 and they, they, told, they waited for me to take a sip before, I, before they told me because they thought it was hilarious. And I was like, I actually, it actually doesn't really bother me very much. Um, but yeah, very, very good. Anyway, I bought some back for us. 
Did you? Oh, yeah, so... I brought some. I brought some. I, I got the whole. I got the full bean version as well, just to make sure that you know all the good stuff. But yeah, we can share yeah. it. Yeah, no, fair. Um, okay. The reindeer's thing was about magic mushrooms, by the way. Apparently, it's, like, it's, how, it's how people are um, in the area. No, they basically because the mushrooms kill you if you have them. But if you drink them through the reindeer piss, um, you just get the hallucinogenic effects without um, actually dying. So that's people um, used used to use that as an. I think Great. it's not like. I don't, Sorry. Think, I, th- I don't think it's like right now. I think it's kind of like as a, like an old school stuff. But I think it's what it used yeah, to be yeah. like, you know, time gone by. I'm um, sure it did, yeah. yeah. I mean, but remember it that all science... reminded me of this story. All science is trial and error, and someone decided that they would try that to see if it worked. Yeah, and I respect that person. That is, uh, <laughs> that is someone with a death wish. Uh, did you ask any of these cats how they felt about being part of the process? Just need to just check. <laughs> Are they happy uh, they, to be part of this? They were not available for interview, sadly. Yeah, no, lu- no luaks were harmed in the in the making of this. Yeah, I hope not. I hope no cats were harmed. And is this coffee cheap or expensive by barley standards? It's expensive by barley standards, but then by our standards, of course, it's cheap because everything. Yeah, is no, cheap. of course, by ours. I just wondered, like, by their standards, like, is this a, like a luxury? Is it like a premium project? It's the, yeah, it's it's the, it's the premium. It's it's fully premium. I bought five five boxes of it not of the of luwak of their different ones they've got vanilla ones and, and all sorts of stuff and ginseng ones i, I bought loads of it back oh wow nice. so you genuinely did love this stuff it was really nice but i also wanted to support the plantation because bali has been shut for two years and they're struggling and mm. they need tourism and they need people to go there and spend money so we did as much as we could in that area like doing day trips and supporting the locals and buying their products and stuff because we thought it was the right thing to do Fair Fair enough. enough. Good man yourself, Sam. Good man yourself. Right, and on that very positive and heartwarming bombshell, uh, we're going to call this episode a day. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to the returning Sam Tai. Well done, mate. Thanks, buddy. Good to be back. It's good to have you back, my friend. Thank you very much to our transfigured Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.